and then appears, it says in verse 1, the Lord appeared to him. But then it says in verse 2, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. Well, verse 1 says it's the Lord, and verse 2 says it's three men. And then as you move on through the chapter, you find that the Lord, you see this in verse chapter 18, verse 22, the men turned from there and went to Sodom, and Abraham stood before the Lord. And in chapter 19, verse 1, two angels then came to Sodom in the evening. So it calls, it says the Lord came to him, it says men came, three men came to him, it says two angels then went on down to Sodom. So what are we to make of that? I don't think it's that difficult, actually. I think what is happening here is the Lord and two angels came to Abraham in the form of men. This is not uncommon in the Old Testament. They, the Lord came. He has two angels with him. He stays behind and talks to Abraham chapter 18, verse 22, while he sends the two angels, or men, on to Sodom and Gomorrah to examine the lives and the society in those cities. And what you have then, in verses 9 chapter 18, verse 9 to 15, he reiterates, the Lord reiterates, repeats to Abraham that he's going to have a son Isaac in a, this time next year. Him and Sarah. So the time is now here. But then, uh, it says that Abraham, verse 22, the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. He knew what God was about to do. And verse 23 says, Then Abraham drew near. In other words, he is now petitioning the Lord. So what you have in verse 23 of chapter 18, to the end of the chapter, is a prayer for Sodom and Gomorrah. You're probably familiar with this prayer. He says, uh, Lord, I know you're about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but what if there's 50 righteous people there? And the Lord says, all right, if, you, if there's 50, we won't destroy them. And Abraham says, well, what if there's only 45? And the Lord says, all right, if there's 45, we won't destroy them. What if there's only 40? And you know this story. He goes down all the way to 10. What if there's only 10? And then he stops. He stops at 10 because 10 is the smallest unit or quorum 
in the Old Testament. You had to have ten to have a synagogue. Uh, you had to have ten to have a, a church. And what he's saying is if there's one synagogue, if there's one body of believers who, that, that make up a quorum, they had ten because if you have ten men who tithe, then the priest or the rabbi could live uh, off of the tithes. And it would be the average of those ten. So this is the way they would set up a synagogue. And, and Abraham goes to ten, but he recognizes if there's no church in Sodom, then they're doomed. So Sodom is doomed, but Lot, not necessarily. And Abraham prays for Lot. I know that because in chapter 19, verse 29, it says, when God destroyed the cities, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. He remembered Abraham. What, what does that mean? He remembered his prayers. And it, I think it's uh, worth saying at this point that you would agree with me that Sodom and Gomorrah are wicked sinners. In fact, the Bible says that. In chapter 18, verse 20, the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. So this is a very wicked city. But it's interesting now, and I think observable, that Abraham did not take the stance of condemnation but of deliverance. In other words, yeah, they're, that's a wicked bunch but could you spare them for this? Could you spare them if they had that many? If they, could you spare them? And what about Lot? Could you spare Lot? Abraham recognizes judgment is coming but he doesn't stand in the way of judgment. He doesn't stand to judge them. He stands to deliver them. He stands in prayer for them. He stands recognizing the awful condition that they're in and the terrible future that awaits them. And he doesn't jump on the bandwagon of critics, but rather he bows his knee to join the intercessors. Can I get a word of amen from the church of Jesus Christ? We are not here, folks, to, to write off sinners. We're here to rescue them. There is no debate on Sodom and Gomorrah. There's no debate in the church, the true church, about homosexuality and sexual perversion. We know that's bad, but what is our assignment? Point our fingers? Or is our assignment to go with a broken heart and a passionate love for sinners like Jesus had and seek to rescue the sinner and save the perishing? Can I get an amen from somebody? You can help me preach, you know. I began thinking about this some months ago. I was listening to Joyce Myers. <laughs> that alone would get me criticized. 
And I'm announcing it because, I, let's just go there and do it. So I was, I was listening to Joyce Myers. She's telling about her brother. Her brother was a drug addict and an alcoholic. And he had disappeared for two or three years, and then one day out of nowhere, he called her and said, I'm just fed up with this life. Can I just come and live with you guys for a while? get my life together and she said come on you can live with us and we'll provide for you help you get back on your feet so so he did and he stayed a couple of years but then one day he just up and disappeared and they didn't know what happened he was gone again for a couple of years and then out of the blue he called can I come home again? I just, I'm just so tired of this life. And she said, well, let's put you in a rehabilitation center. Let's get you some help from professionals. And so he did. Same story. A couple of years and then gone again. Then the last she heard was that he had hung himself in the basement of a church that he was visiting. And then she made this statement. She said, sometimes there are people you can't help. Now, I agree with that, but I want to add to it. What do you do when you can't do anything? What you can do when you can't do anything, you can still do this. You can do like Abraham and pray to God. You can pray to God. And they may resist your words, but they can't do anything about your prayers. That's why at the end, our text that I'll refer to again, chapter 19, verse 29, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the overthrow. Because Abraham is praying in chapter 18, Lot is delivered in chapter 19. A couple of questions. First, how did he pray? What do we learn about his praying? And then second... What did his praying do? What did it accomplish? So, just two things. First, how did he pray? Well, number one, he took the initiative. Look at chapter 18, verse 22 again. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. It's not over. He doesn't want it to be over. And verse 23, then Abraham drew near to God. He stepped up close to him. In other words, he took the initiative. He made a move. Genesis 18, verse 23, Abraham drew near. James 4, 8 refers to this. And he tells us what happens. James 4, 8. 
draw near to God and God will what? Draw near to you. Same in Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who, He's near to all who call upon Him. We call upon Him. So there is something you can do when there's nothing you can do. And that is you can draw near to God in prayer. Take the initiative. And also, he not only took the initiative, but he pressed the issue. When you look at this prayer, from verse 24 of chapter 18 down to the conclusion of verse 33, this is where he goes down the list. What if there's 45? You surely wouldn't destroy it if there's 45. And God says, all right, I won't. What if there's 40? What if there's 30? What if there's 20? He presses the issue. And he finds that God is gracious to the extent that he is persistent. So he stayed persistent. Now what did his prayer do? Uh, and here I want to give you three things. What did the prayer of Abraham do, and therefore, can we draw a lesson from that for our own prayer lives in which we pray for people who are loved ones, like Lot, captured by the worldliness and the flesh of this age? What did prayer do? Uh, the first thing it did, remember that there's two angels now sent from the Lord, and they have an assignment. Uh, in chapter 19 and in verse 12, the men, that is these angels, said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, son-in-law, sons, daughters, anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against this people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Now notice, their assignment was they were sent to destroy it. But now the assignment has changed a little. There's a reassignment. And that is, we have to get you out first. You see that? Now they have two assignments. Get Lot and his family out, then destroy the city. What Abraham's prayer did is reassign angels. They are now not only on a destructive judgment mission, but on a rescue mission. When you pray, God sends angels to the people for whom you pray. And those angels can be persuasive. I'm reading through the Old Testament uh, slowly, taking my time, and I came this morning to 2 Chronicles 32, 21. And in 2 Chronicles 32, there's a king in Judah named Hezekiah. And he is 
a good king and he's suddenly surrounded by the Assyrians, a terrorist organization led by Sennacherib. And Sennacherib mocks Hezekiah's gods or God and his faith. And Hezekiah and Isaiah, the prophet, come together in the temple for prayer. And here's what it says, that Hezekiah and Isaiah prayed, and then the next verse, 2 Chronicles 32, 21, and the Lord sent an angel, and he destroyed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. That was his entire army. Just to give you an example of how big that army was, when uh, George Bush invaded Iraq, he took 80,000 soldiers. Here is an army of Assyrian terrorists of 185,000 soldiers. And an angel, they prayed and God sent an angel and an angel wiped out every one of them overnight. Well, here, Abraham has prayed, and all of a sudden, you have these angels who now are on a double mission. Now they're on a rescue mission. They have to get Lot out. Look uh, down at verse 21. He says, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there, verse 22. For I can do nothing until you arrive there. The angel could not destroy that city until he got Lot out. So the first thing prayer does is it reassigns, it releases angelic activity into the life of the one for whom you're praying. Number two, prayer brings mercy look at Genesis 19 verse 15 Genesis 19 verse 15 as the morning dawned the angels urged Lot saying take your wife and your two daughters who are here lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city but he lingered he didn't want to go so Verse 16, he lingered. So the men, the angels, seized him and his wife and his daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. Sometimes they just make you do what you don't want to do. Now when you pray for somebody who is captured by the world, they don't want to go to church. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to get close to God. They want to run from God. They linger. But you, your prayer is not limited by their lack of desire. Listen to Romans 9. Their lack of desire can be baptized in God's mercy. Listen at this. Romans 9, 15. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not, this is the New International Version, NIV, it does not depend 
on human desire or human effort, but on God who shows mercy. <laughs> See, these people don't have any desire, but you're not limited. Prayer takes you beyond the limitations of human desire and bestows such mercy that it changes them and this angelic activity along with the mercy of God comes together and brings them out in answer to prayer. He lingered. But it says, the Lord being merciful to him. Don't look at what they deserve. Don't look at how deep in they are captured. Don't look at how tight the bondage and fetters that restrain them. Don't look at the lack of desire in their heart. Look to God in the bestowal of sovereign mercy and his angelic activity in their life. You don't have to say a word to them. All right. So when Abraham prayed, he, the angels were reassigned. Mercy was bestowed. Lot didn't deserve it. He's, he's already been delivered once. You remember that in Genesis 14. He'd already been out of... He, he got captured in Sodom once and taken as a kidnapped victim. And Abraham delivered it. Now he's back here again. It's all mercy. But a third thing is... Prayer changes judgments. It changes judgments. So the angels get Lot and his family by the hand. And they're half dragging him out. And Lot says in verse 17, As they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. Verse 19. And you've shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills. The disaster will overtake me and I'll die. What he's saying is, I can't make it. I'm too weak. I'm too slow. So here's a little city, Zoar. Let me just get to that one. And look at uh, verse 20. The city is near enough to flee to and it's a little one. Let me escape there and my life will be saved. Verse 21. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also. I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Escape quickly there, for I can do nothing till you get there. The name of the city was called Zoar. I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. Verse 21. 
it changed the judgment. It diminished it. Now listen. There were five cities called the cities of the plains in Sodom and Gomorrah metropolitan area. These five cities are listed in Genesis 14. Genesis 14, 2. Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, and Zoar. Those five cities go together. Zoar, and if you could give me that map, Zoar is a little bit farther to the south of the other four cities. And Lot says, I think I can get there. And the angel says, all right, we won't judge that city. We won't destroy it. It changed the judgment. A 10-year study by... Let me give you a list of these universities. Uh, North Arizona University. North Carolina State University. DePaul University. Los Alamos National Laboratories. These were some of the secular universities that came together and sent scientists and archaeologists to study the Sodom and Gomorrah area over in the Dead Sea area. They studied it for 10 years, beginning in, 19, uh, beginning in 2008 to 2018. And here's what they, now these are secular scientists, these aren't Christians. Here's what they concluded. This decade-long study conducted by a team of trained scientists and archaeologists, reported their findings to the American School of Oriental Research in 2018. They said that the total destruction of these cities took place because of a meteoric airburst over that 15-mile square area. Uh, these aren't uncommon. They're, I mean, they're not common, but they're not like never happened before. This airburst was so hot that it reached the temperatures equal to the surface of the sun. They know this because it melted pottery into glass, which takes a certain degree of temperature. It was a thousand times more powerful than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima in World War II. A thousand times more. And they said all of the cities were obliterated in a 15-mile area, except, strangely, Zoar. The southernmost tip Around it, behind it, but Zoar, for some reason, escaped. And that's what he says 
Verse 22, the angel said, Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. The name of the city is Zoar. Prayer not only sends angels and bestows mercy, but it changes judgments. It can postpone a judgment. It can delay it. It can reformulate or reconstitute it. It can reapportion it. It can even cancel it. It can limit it. So when we pray, we are doing this thing that man cannot do. We have engaged the God of heaven and his resources to do what we could not do. Therefore, what a great verse. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, chapter 19, verse 29, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out. May God remember us and save some loved ones. Can I get an amen, church? Praise to God. Praise to God. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, as we meditate on this story and the judgment that we know is coming, help us, I pray, to be deliverers, healers, helpers, not critics, not condemners, not judges, but help us to pray to be children of Abraham, that lots may be delivered. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Ushers, you help us as we worship with tithes and offerings today. Let's go. 